0: got to see is that what a sufficient number of customers are saying or are feeling experiencing to make that valuable and what is the cost of doing that and so we need to make a business decision based on our business not on our customers needs entirely we consult with the customer we make a business decision
1: welcome back everyone to the cx pulse podcast i'm your host amelia rose Earhart. On today's show, we'll be discussing how customer success management impacts customer experience. And our guest expert is Rick Adams. He is a business outcomes and customer success expert and also a published author. And Rick, in diving into you and a bit about your research and your work, I love hearing that you like the overlap between science and creativity, and that plays into a lot of how you see the world, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Always been fascinated with both ever since I was a child. I think technology has fascinated me as well. Lucky enough to be the first set of people to do what in the UK was called O-level, which is, I guess, sort of 13, 14-year-olds doing their first set of exams on what was called computer studies. can remember the very first computer arriving at our school. So it's been wonderful to see the rise of the tech industry throughout my lifetime.
1: Yeah, that's right. I read that you've got over 25 years experience. You're also the owner at practical CSM. And that's why today we're excited to chat because your organization provides basically guidelines, ways to really understand customer success management, how to show a framework that we can all agree on. Right. And today we're going to talk a little bit about the biggest misconceptions to just kick things off between customer success and customer experience.
0: The way I would look at this. And obviously there are many others who will have their opinion is that. Customer success is a result. It is when the customer gets the thing they wanted out of having purchased whatever they purchased from us. Now, if they've bought chewing gum from us, it's pretty straightforward what they wanted. For a complex product that a technology solution that a company has purchased to manage their security on their network and let people in and do various different things, Yeah, it's much more complicated than that. But at the end of the day, they bought it for a reason. Customer success is when they get that, whatever that might be. Customer experience. Well, of course, the word experience is much wider than that experience. We experience all sorts of things. We experience whether we got the value out of something, but we also experience what the people that we bought it from, how they treated us, how long it took, whether we had to complain a lot or to get things done or whether it got done for us. And there was a chocolate on the pillow as well. So customer experience by its nature is actually a much broader piece of terminology. It's talking about everything that we do that touches the customer from the very first moment they hear of our name, right through to the very last time they squeezed the final drop of value out of the product that we finally sold them and they want us no more, which we hope will never happen. But everything that happens, it's experienced by the customer. Therefore, it's part of customer experience. And we talk about the customer journey, of course. And so therefore, customer success is much more specific and it only incorporates aspects of the customer journey post-sales. Because until you've bought it, you're not trying to get value out of it. It's too early. What you're trying to do is decide whether you want it or not. And also then negotiating how much to pay for it and what types of services you're going to get to help you get the value out of it. But once that's all done and the contract signed and it's been manufactured or customized or implemented or configured, it's in, now you need value out of it. That's where customer success comes in. So I would say that CS is an aspect of CX. You need both. You can't have one without the other. It doesn't work like that. CX covers the entire customer journey. CS focuses on the value realisation for the customer, helping them get the value. And thus, I would also argue, and this could be argued differently, I would argue that CS is the most important part of CX. The reason being, it's what customers care about, is the value they get.
1: Is it safe to say that If they were a Venn diagram, you would have customer experience and customer success and hoping that overlap in that Venn diagram gets larger, right? Because that is the successful customer experience.
0: I would have a big blob, which would be customer experience, and then a smaller blob inside the big blob, which would be customer success.
1: Okay, wonderful. Well, thank you for really defining those two and setting them apart. So let's talk about some of the main challenges that customer success teams face and how to overcome them. Because clearly it's difficult to define, but let's talk about some of those real life challenges we're seeing.
0: This does vary a lot from organization and team to team, but I would say that taken as a whole, customer success compared to any other department or function of a business is relatively new. And so sales has been going a long time and HR and accounting and finance and product development and so on customer success tends to be relatively new. And because of that, has not so mature in terms of the, you mentioned frameworks. I've written what I believe to be the world's first and only end-to-end framework for the delivery of customer success. There's a generic written-up version in my book, but that's the first one. I mean, compare that to HR best practice or accountancy best practice. So it's been going for years. You can go and get a degree in it and then are qualified and then you go and do it. And so, of course, when you hire your accountants, obviously you would hire qualified accountants, right? That's not the case in customer success because there aren't any qualified people to hire. So then what instead you do is you hire people from other departments and functions that have a similarity. They're probably customer facing, for example, customer support or sales, or marketing, or product, or something of that nature, and bring them in. And then you instill what you believe customer success to be into them, assuming you've got the time. And of course, a lot of customer success teams come from SaaS startups who don't have money or time to do things properly. They've got to do things as it happens in real time, as they haven't got the luxury of either the money or the time to do things any other way. And so what happens is, generally speaking, we've ended up like this, but we didn't plan it, particularly customer success function. And I would say that is the biggest challenge that customer success teams now face is, okay, we've grown over the last few years, we didn't know we needed it, then we know we needed it and we got it, and now we've developed it. And now three years in and we've got 12 of us or 20 of us, and we suddenly realise we've got no best practice. We've got all very little. There's nothing's documented. If somebody leaves, they leave with all the good ideas that they had that they haven't told anybody else. We don't want that. If somebody joins, we don't know how to train them. We don't treat all our customers in exactly the same way. How do we measure if we're not all doing the same thing? How do we compare? How do we make sure that we're hitting the right quality targets and so on and so forth? So it's a nightmare all round. It's a natural function of the way the customer success has grown and developed and is still maturing to the stage when everybody does know what they're doing. And that is part of what we do at Practical CSM is come in and help organizations to put that structure in place with the right frameworks, the right processes and step-by-step playbooks and the right sort of training. So the whole team is doing things the same way to the same quality and the same standard to make sure the customers are happy. And it's measurable and repeatable and you can bring new people in and train them up quickly and get them productive, et cetera.
1: Oh, that makes so much sense. Yeah. You have to have a clear definition of success. You need to know when you've hit the mark so that you can then focus on the next task, making something else better. I love that framework because you're right. When you do just continue to create your path and the way things are done as you grow, bad habits can be developed. And when people ask the question of, well, why do we do it this way? Well, that's just because we do, right? Having that reason is so important. So I hear that you've got some examples of how customer success management team can be really proactively engaged in how they launch towards these goals. Can you go into that a bit?
0: Yeah, I would love to share what we do. As well as teaching customer success, obviously, we provide customer success management to our customers because we want them to be successful with us. And the product we sell or one of the larger product areas that we sell is online self-study training. Now, the issue with online self-study training, I mean, it's great in terms of its value for money. It's fantastic. You get so much more for your money than instructor-led because you're not paying for the time of a trainer. It's pre-created and it's there and we we can use it many times. And so in the round, I think that online self-study training is fantastic, particularly for larger certification training type programs. And we deliver one of those. And so our customers there... What we learn very quickly is if we leave them to it, they don't actually complete the training. And of course, if they don't complete the training, they don't get the value. If they don't get the value, then they're not going to be repeat customers because if you don't get the value the first time, why would you buy more? And so we recognized very quickly that we needed to deal with that and we put in customer success services. And a lot of that is working very closely with the team manager to help them build a customer success training success plan. That enables them to provide the right communication, the right evangelization to get their team on board, the right incentivization and support to keep them on board and keep them on track, and then to build a roadmap with milestones and the right KPIs to measure, to check on progress, and to put all of that together into this plan. And then, of course, to follow the plan and implement it, actually see the value. It's like gym membership, okay? Buying gym membership does not make you fit. We all know that. You've got to buy the gym membership first, of course, but now you've got the gym and hopefully it's a really nice gym with the lovely equipment and nice music playing and it's nice warm showers and a fantastic bar afterwards with nice food to eat and so on. So it's got everything you need and it's the right place to go and it even incentivizes you to go, but you still don't go. Well, lots of people will still buy their gym membership and they still don't go because the urgent stuff can get in the way of the important stuff and they don't make it urgent. And so that's part of the role of what we do with our Is we help them to actually diarize, schedule it, get it in, get it done, and celebrate little wins all the way along. We've gamified the experience, for example. So that's more like a customer experience side of things, but to get success so that people naturally enjoy using it, they're going to want to log in and do it, but also they're motivated by the urgency. They've got to get this bit done by this deadline. And so it doesn't fall by the wayside. And three months later, nobody's doing it anymore. So that would be like a practical example of how customer success managers can really make a difference because customers coming into the experience don't think of any of that. They're just thinking, I buy the training, I've bought the training, I've given it to my team, now they get on and do it. Not so simple.
1: They think, oh, of course I'll do it. And then reality hits. But part of what you do to incentivize is you provide certification, right? So you can actually say, hey, we've hit this check mark. This is how we operate. Is that part of what goes into personalizing for each of your customers?
0: Well, the gamification side is you win lots of badges as you go. So we divided the training into 10 modules and you get a badge for each module. And then we've also divided into four levels. And so go through the first two badges and you get to level one and you get your level one certificate and then do another three badges and you get to level two. And by then, having done five badges, you're halfway through the badges, you're halfway through the training do the other five, you get your level three certificate, pass the final exams, and you get your level four, which is the actual certified CSM professional. So there's always something to aim at. And this, I think, is very similar. To, like in games that people play, you pay for and play, it's a similar concept. Is There's something to aim at in the short term that motivates you to keep going, as well as the long term, I'm going to complete the game. Well, that's great. But that doesn't keep you in the moment in the game. It's the ability to get to the next little step and feel good about it. Give yourself a little bit of a reward for having achieved this particular badge or this particular level in our case.
1: Well, I love the setup too, because learning about a new concept feels so abstract, right? You just research it on your own. You can go in any which direction. You provide the framework of here's what you need to learn, right? Here's what you need to understand to to hit the mark here. And I think that helps us all stay motivated as well. So I really like that setup. As we switch things back and talk more specifically about customer success management. We want to talk about how customer feedback plays into that and how you collect and analyze that type of feedback for organizations.
0: Customer feedback is critical. The customer is key to creating a product they want, right? And so to the early stages and the developmental stages, we don't want to develop in isolation, I would say. We want to develop Using like an agile type framework. And for those who are interested in that side of things, there's lots of great books and courses on agile development and how it applies to business as well as to programming. And I think that the iterative process is the way forward. So in other words, don't decide that you know what your customer wants and then spend the next six months developing it and then launch this massive complex thing and find that actually half or even three quarters of the features and functions you thought they want, they don't use at all. And they used an eighth of it a lot, another sixth of it a bit, and then a few other bits occasionally, and the rest never. And you've wasted all that. If instead you just developed basic thing and just launched that into the market and got feedback, even as a beta, you know, as a trial, we're not charging you as much as we would have done if we'd done the whole thing. But, of course, you can then iteratively develop and build much better. And so this iterative process of go out and do some research, Gain some feedback and then apply that to what you've got and make an improvement and then launch that and then get more feedback, do more research, apply what you've learned, make a change, go back and relaunch is a much better way of doing things. Now I'm not saying I've always been perfect in doing that, but I would certainly say that is the recommended approach. And so your customer feedback is absolutely critical and customer success managers tend to be the person if they're doing their job well. Who has the best relationship with like the coal face of the customer in terms of their usage of your product or service? And so they're the ideal person to be located to have that reality conversation with the customer about how they really use it and find out that yes, I know you trade us to do process A. We found that actually it's much easier if instead of doing that, we just press that button there and then we go over here and go to this sheet and we bring that down and we do that. And then that cuts out half of those things that you said we do, and we get pretty much the same results, good as we need it, but in half the time. Oh, okay. Let me take that back to the developers. And let's make a, a leaner, meaner, better process for our clients, and then bring that out in x upgrade and say, we've listened to you. And then the client, A, feels listened to, and who doesn't like to be listened to, and feels like they are actually part of the development process. Well, rightly, because they are. And also we've just got a better product, which means that we've got a competitive advantage over our competitors. So, feedback is absolutely critical. In terms of how we do that, well, there's qualitative and quantitative feedback. And I know things like CSAT customer satisfaction or NPS net promoter score, a very popular sort of quantitative way of getting a sort of a ready reckoner. Do they like us? Would they recommend us? Right? CSAT, do they like us? NPS, would they recommend us? Yeah, no. Okay, how much? Yeah, percentage-wise. Okay, great. But we need to go further than that. And we need to ask our customers the qualitative questions. Well, what do you like about our brother? What don't you like about our brother? And our service. What's been a great experience for you? What could we have done better, frankly? And as ever, we learn much more from the critical customers than we do from the customers who say, no, everything's great. Thank you very much. Because there's nothing you can learn to improve on. Everything's great. Thank you very much. Whereas, well, frankly, it would have been a lot nicer if you'd done X, Y, and Z gives us something useful that we could go contemplate. Now, that doesn't mean that every time a customer says they want something, it's the right thing for us to immediately go and do it, right? Because that might just be them. We've got to see, is that what a sufficient number of customers are saying or are feeling experiencing to make that valuable? And what is the cost of doing that? And so we need to make a business decision based on our business, not on our customer's needs entirely. We consult with the customer, we make a business decision.
1: Sounds like you have to do some really active listening, make some tough decisions. And also, to me, it feels like you're honing your way towards the best possible route to take as opposed to going in every which direction you're saying, this didn't work. We're going to adjust and course correct from here, which is always the best way because you're eliminating options and focused on the right thing. So as we start to wrap things up here, Rick, I know this is a big, wide, general question, but you see the data, you see the backside of these things. How do you measure customer success?
0: The first way is like a sentiment type measurement, and that's been very popular. And That is how a lot of CS teams have traditionally measured themselves, or indeed even been targeted on, is like an increase, for example, in net promoters. What is now replacing that a little bit, which is good to see, is NRR. And so what that is, the difference between ignoring new sales to new customers, taking what we sold in our previous contract period, adding to it any additional upsells that we've managed in the period, but taking off any customers who have churned, What does that leave us with? And it will either leave us with a positive number because the upsells were greater than the churns or a negative number because the churns were greater than the upsells. Mm -hmm. And so whatever was last time, if we sold $100 last time, if we now sell an additional $20, but lose $10, then we're up $10. We're up from 100 to 110. Okay. And then obviously that is also our 110%. And so what A venture capital investor would be interested in is a company that can say, we typically have a increase in our contractual returns and NRR of around 130 mark. And they'll be like, that's wonderful. Because what that means is as a company, we're growing. It's like the leaky bucket analogy is the easiest way I think to explain it. It's so, so obvious that by the time I've said this, people will be rolling their eyes, but. If you imagine the flow of new revenues from new customers being turning the faucet on at the top, and the revenues are flowing into your bucket, well, of course, the bucket's going to fill up unless there's a hole. Now, if the hole in the bucket is bigger than the amount of flow new revenues coming in, then your bucket never fills. If it's smaller but still there, then your bucket fills more slowly. But as soon as you turn the faucet off, it will... So that is the analogy of the difference between going out and getting net new customers, which is always essential for growth, but then also minimizing churn, keeping the hole as small as possible, and increasing upsells. In other words, turning the set on higher. So it's not just net new, but also existing customers buying more. So you've got more revenues coming in and less coming out at the bottom means your bucket will grow more quickly, which means you will need a bigger bucket more quickly i.e. your company is growing. And so that really is the sort of true measure. It's just that bit that is existing customers, which is what NRR is measuring. It ignores net new customers and just focuses on retention customers. Are we growing the revenues from retained customers?
1: And with that bucket analogy, all it made me think was, if that's going to happen to me and my organization, I want to plan. I want to know how to handle this, when it happens, when to step into action. Sounds like everything that you provide can really set that up. So
0: That's very true, Amelia. And day one, you're worried about getting customers, right? You haven't got any customers, so there's nothing to retain and nothing to renew. You've got to get your first customer. Once you've got your first half dozen or so customers, that's day two, as it were, a little bit down the track. Now you're worrying about retaining those customers. So it comes in fairly quickly after you worry about product first, then you worry about marketing, then you worry about selling, and then you worry about customer success as we go down the customer journey.
1: Yeah, it's a perfect lead-in. It's why folks should really check out Practical CSM and go through the process, really understand this topic so you can know if you're hitting the mark. Rick, why don't you let everybody know where they can get in touch and how they can connect with your services?
0: Thank you so much, Amelia so practicalcsm.com or you can find me Rick Adams on LinkedIn if you go to the website there's lots and lots of free information you can sign up we do live webinars every month and we've got newsletters you can sign up and so on and so forth so yeah find everything there practicalcsm.com or LinkedIn Rick Adams
1: wonderful well Rick I really enjoyed our conversation today thanks for being on the show
0: thank you very much for inviting me I really appreciate it great to meet you
1: Thank you so much for joining us on the CX Pulse podcast. Stay tuned for upcoming episodes. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. This podcast is brought to you by NICE, the world's leading cloud CX platform. Go to NICE.com to learn more about our innovative and comprehensive end-to-end CX solutions. That's NICE.com.